There's been a bit of chat since early voting started this week here in New Zealand about the little I voted stickers. And the lack thereof, isn't there? And I I understand this upset because, frankly, what is the point in democracy if you can't brag about participating in it? Yeah, there are no stickers. They're not giving them out. But the very good investigative journalist that I am, I emailed the Electoral Commission and asked where they've gone. They informed me that actually back in 2020, they weren't giving them out then either. It turns out it's our fault. Oh. Because the Electoral Commission also told me that back in 2017, they noticed more and more people turning down the sticker. So supply and demand, they were like, well, no demand. We'll stop supplying. So we have to own this. We do need to own this. Perhaps now there has been a bit of a public outcry about it. By, what, 2026, we can have them back. Surely. For this election, we just have to get by. I mean, I guess there is a point in voting with that one. I mean, we could make our own. Should we just get some some of those name stickers and a Sharpie? Yes. Can we also just confirm that you will still vote despite the stickers? Yes, I will yeah, still vote, but I will be making my own stickers in the meantime. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. The Opportunities Party leader, Raf Manji, joins us and reveals whether or not he's been in coalition talks with the National Party. There's been plenty of Weetbix weirdness these last few days, but why doesn't its parent company, Sanitarium, have to pay income tax? We're talking about the major issue facing UK prisons around drones and drugs. Plus, these slightly weird and wacky rules some housing development dwellers have to live by. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz slash support. Uh, obviously, COVID-19 knocks you around a little bit, but I'm, I'm certainly starting to feel a lot better today. I think I'll uh, give it another day or two and I should be fighting fit, certainly looking forward to getting back on the campaign trail on Friday. While Chris Hipkins' COVID curveball has been making news waves, the minor parties too have been grabbing heaps of attention in the past week with the toing and froing over who would partner with who to form a government. But the Opportunities Party or TOP hasn't really featured in the debate, but is there any chance of an electoral deal that could give TOP a foot in the door and entry to Parliament? It's a tried and tested model and enabled to act to get a seat in the past. So is anyone discussing this as an option? TOPS party leader, Raf Manji, is here now to discuss. Kia ora. Kia ora. How are you going? Great, thank you. Raf, anecdotally at least, you hear about a lot of people getting or scoring TOP on things like Vote Compass or other sites that suggest where people's political values lie. Why doesn't that translate into votes? Yeah, you know what? I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> the simple I think there is a there is just a it's a bit a bit like a kind of chicken coming out of the egg. It's it's quite difficult to break through. Once that egg is broken, it can get out. And I think we're just in that position where people are hardwired through MMP over the last twenty seven years to think about the wasted vote. I mean, seriously, the number of conversations I've had, I would vote top if I didn't think it would be a wasted vote, or even go, I would vote top when you're in parliament and i have to explain well to get into parliament you have to vote for us and it's it's a psychological block and i have tried everything and thought of everything and actually the only thing i can do is win island get into parliament and then get on with it have you had any conversations raf with national about potential coalitions i've had some brief messages they've said they're not interested in a deal which is fair enough but i think 
they haven't really done the strategic thinking around the numbers in terms of they're still getting to grips with the fact that Winston could could be holding the balance of power, and that's not a, a good place to be, particularly for an inexperienced uh, prime minister yeah, to be like Chris Luxon. And I don't think they've really given it enough thought, but a lot of other people are. I've had internal conversations with National Party people who go, oh, that seems like a good idea, and National Party supporters, but it hasn't reached kind of the top of the tree yet. Are you trying to persuade them? No, not really, because I think I'm going to win Ireland anyway. But I think if I step back uh, and think, okay, we've had 27 years of MMP with New Zealand first every sort of three years being part of the government, calling the shots, and we need something new. Shouldn't you be putting a little bit more effort into maybe securing a deal with National, though? Well, I think, you know, it's out there. It's it's up to them to kind of think about it. But as, as I said, I'm pretty confident that I'm going to win anyway. Actually, this could be a very close election. You know, we could end up with a hung parliament with, with Winston calling the shots. But if I win Ireland, we will offer another alternative partner to National and a much more sensible one. In terms of your confidence about winning Ireland, where does that come from? Have you got any internal polling that you can share with us? Look, I mean, there, there was polling done about six weeks ago. So, you know, it is out of date. But we we had internal polling, which showed us within 3%. But there's a lot of undecideds, like 27% undecided. Raf, what's the one policy from top uh, that would make the most difference to New Zealanders if it were introduced today? The teal card. It's our flagship policy. It's something that I've worked on, you know, myself. And I think for the next generation, it's a, a real game changer in terms of how people will engage with government services, but also the private sector and the civic sector. And it's a, a leveler, but investing in the basics like education, health, public transport, and creating a new national civic service model, which you know comes from my work with Student Volunteer Army. And I think that's critical with the challenges that we're facing around, you know, huge social change, lack of social cohesion, climate change, ever-increasing complexity, financial inequality. You know, we need to address this stuff up front. It's a gold card for young people, and I think it's a huge gap in our system. Ref Manji, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week, we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture, and more. You'll also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So, for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to be talking about some weird and wacky rules around living in a housing development a bit later. And so, in a tangential way, we want to know if you think pets should be banned from rental properties. Essentially, would you deny being a home, is what we're asking. We've got some skin in the game here. Go and vote on our Instagram poll, search Newsable NZ. And remember, you can always send us an email about anything and everything. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. So, Sanitarium, the breakfast cereal brand, has been in the headlines again after its plans to stop supplying Weetbix to the warehouse, blaming supply issues. It has since you turned on that plan after getting plenty of public backlash and confusion and saying it's reassessed its exports and it now has enough to keep the big red shops stocked. 
But with all this wheat bix hoo-ha going on, we were curious to know why a trading organisation like this one, working with big commercial outfits like the warehouse and the supermarkets, have a charitable tax status, meaning they do not have to pay any tax at all. And it turns out... They're not the only one. Joining us now is Dr. Michael Gume, an academic who has worked extensively in the charity sector. Kia ora, Michael. G'day. Now, can you explain to us why on earth Sanitarium doesn't have to pay any tax, unlike other businesses? Well, it's very simple. It's because it's a registered, what we call, tax charity. So this comes under the Charities Act 2005, and the whole reason for the Charities Act 2005 was to improve the accountability and transparency of the charity sector. And so now we catch up with all these organisations with charitable status. Some of them have different legal status, and so there's a different issue there altogether. For example, if we talk about Naitahu, with its over 40 companies, they have charitable status as well because the shares are owned by the Naitahu Charitable Trust. And in the case of Sanitarium, with its operation, it is also a registered tax charity. And because it's registered, it is exempt from paying income tax. So it does pay tax. It has some commercial operations in America, which are not exempt from income tax, but that's minimal compared to its main operations. But of course, it pays GST and it pays uh, PAY and so on. What is it that Sanitarium does or has that makes it a charity? Well, we need to go back to 1891 and we need to go to England. So even further than that, if we go back to 1799, when William Pitt introduced our first, what we recognise as our income tax, He provided in that an exemption from income tax for organisations with charitable purposes. The problem was that he didn't define what a charitable purpose was. But we jumped to 1891 when a group called the Moravians were challenged on their charitable status. And in the House of Lords, a famous judge called Lord McNaughton laid down what we now know is what he called the four principal divisions of charitable purpose. So we have trust for the relief of poverty, trust for the advancement of education, trust for the advancement of religion, and other trusts for the benefit of the community. So then we look at sanitarium and say, well, what's sanitarium's basic charitable purpose? So any organisation that wishes to set up as a charity in New Zealand today must conform with one of those four principal divisions according to the Pemsel case of 1891 and charity law as developed since then. So coming back to sanitarium, it's a church. It's a religious organisation. So they would fall under the heading of advancing religion. So, Michael, can we see what Sanitarium or any other charity is doing with its money? The Charities Act captures them as a tax-exempt organisation. And so now I can go onto the register, the Charities Register, and I can see exactly what they're doing with their finances. And we can start asking questions about how is it that millions of dollars go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, that there's a whole raft of products there. Uh, produced by different entities under the guise of the Seventh-day Adventist Church as a commercial trading operation that pays no income tax, which you and I as taxpayers subsidise. Because if they're not paying tax, somebody's still going to pay tax to fund health and education. So what, if anything, do you think needs to change? Since 1967, when we've had numerous tax reviews, and most of those reviews have said one way or the other that the commercial activities of charities should be taxed, No government has ever put that, for example, as an amendment to the Income Tax Act to sit down so that around the select committee table, we could put our cases from all points of view and have a discussion and a debate about, is this equitable? Is it fair? Plenty of food for thought there. Dr. Michael (laughs) Gourmet, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Newsable. It's a pleasure.
And we did try to speak to the Grocery Commissioner about the Wheatbix Warehouse saga situation, but his office said he was unavailable. We're still going to talk about drugs, drones and UK prisons. Sounds like a Guy Ritchie movie. Uh, But anyway, remember if you are enjoying what you're hearing, chuck us a follow and a like on your favourite podcast platform. Contraband in prisons is not a new problem, but in the UK, a rise in psychoactive drugs being smuggled into prisons is causing inmates to become aggressive and violent, and authorities are struggling to keep a lid on it. Jess, what more do we know? So this all came about from the new governor of HMP Edinburgh, obviously in Scotland, who's the one that shed some light on this to start with and how hard it's been to manage for prison staff. So Fiona Crookshank says drones are being used to fly drugs into to prison. And in fact, earlier this year, one crashed into the grounds of her prison while carrying $150,000 worth of drugs, plus phones, plus knives. None of the things you actually want in prison, obviously. And the drugs themselves are actually changing. Crookshank says Scottish prisons have seen a huge shift from the traditional narcotics, we're talking heroin and cocaine, to the new psychoactive substances like spice and synthetic cannabis. So why are those drugs then so much harder to deal with? Right, well, it's it's kind of the effect that they have on the prisoners themselves. So Crookshank said that prisoners who take those kinds of psychoactive drugs can become unresponsive very quickly. And she said that one minute staff will be delivering CPR to a prisoner who's gone unresponsive. And then five minutes later, that same prisoner will be presenting as extremely aggressive, extremely violent, and staff are having to deal with those two different extremes in a matter of minutes. And then to make matters worse, she said that the prisoners using the drugs they don't then respond to the effects of the overdose reversal drug uh, naloxin, which is the one that they use. And then that means that uh, those prisoners then need to go to hospital and it's resulted in increased ambulance call-outs. Do we know if we've got anything similar going on here? We don't know a whole lot at the moment. The last time there was much reporting on this was a couple of years ago, around 2020, when cannabis was still the most common drug in our prisons, although methamphetamine was on the rise. Though separately, in about 2018, Corrections introduced some drug detector dogs into New Zealand prisons, which can specifically sniff out synthetic drugs. So today's wacky... Some of the rules people living in subdivisions may find themselves subject to. So some new developments, I didn't know this, some new developments end up with what's called a covenant, a set of rules or restrictions on the property, which kind of sounds like to me like a body corporate rule for apartments, I guess. And so here's a wee sample of things included in these covenants around the country. These aren't all new developments and these are all from different covenants. These are real, by the way. One of them. No dogs taller than 50 centimetres. 50 centimetres. So what are we talking, is that when they've got four feet on the floor or when they stand up on two feet like poodles? That's a very good question. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. But either way, it sounds like I should go home and just check Bean's height to be safe. I'm trying to measure it on the floor right now. It doesn't seem very tall to me either. It's like, yeah, yeah. I reckon that would rule out Labradors. Uh, but there's, uh, there's more, there's, but wait. Uh, some covenants ban certain colours that you can paint your house in your subdivision-y development. Some say you can't have a garden shed visible from the road. That same one says no decorations in the garden, which would include, oh. of course, Chrissy lights for Christmas. Grinchy. Which is very unfair. And then there's another that says letterbox 
have to be approved by the developer. When we all complain that subdivisions look the exact same, it's because of rules like this, because there's no pink and green houses. They all have to be, you know, sandstone or whatever. Because all of them have dogs shorter than 50 centimetres. <laughs> <laughs> so bizarre. I couldn't wrap my head around it. I know. Poor little border collie, well, big border collies and those kind of beautiful Bernie's Mountain dogs you see. That's why they're not <laughs> going to be in the latest subdivision near you. But of course, this is a great segue for us to ask, do you think that pets should be banned? from rental properties. If you vote yes, you will have been to answer to, is all I'm saying. Get in touch, vote on Instagram, send us an email. Thank you for listening. That's Newsball for today. I'm Imogen Wells. I'm Jessica McCarthy. We'll catch you tomorrow. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz slash support. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about that gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.